भगवते सरस्वती भ्यासम तथो जायम उदीरये ओम अज्ञानिमिरंदस्यनंजनाचलाकया चक्षुरोन्मीतमी श्रीगुरवे नम वंशकूप्य सिंधुभ्य पतिनमेभ्यो वैष्णवेभ्यो नमो नम श्रीकृष्णचैतन्य प्रभुनिथानंदगदाधार श्रीभाषरी गौरभक्तवृंद हरे कृष्णा हरे कृष्णा 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 हरे 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 राम हरे राम 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 हरे हरे अथो हरे में कुलिसेनवीरा हर्ता प्रमाथिरो यदिहाूतपनीताया मनास्वीरा पदराज प्रपसे बट इफ इन दिस बैरो यू खर ऑफ माई हैड विथ युअर तंडरवल and kill my soldiers o indra o great hero i shall take great pleasure in offering my body to other living entities such as jackals and vultures i shall thus be relieved of all my obligations to the reactions of my karma and my fortune will be to receive the dust from the lotus feet of great devotees like narada muni I am the servant of the six Goswamis, and the dust of their lotus feet provides my five kinds of food. 
A Vaishnav always desires the dust of the lotus feet of previous acharyas and Vaishnavas, or saintly persons. Vritrasura was certain that he would be killed in the battlefield with Indra, because this was the desire of the Lord. He was prepared for death because he knew that after his death he was destined to return home back to Godhead, the spiritual world. This is a great destination, and it is achieved by the grace of a Vaishnava. Chadiya Vaishnava seva nistara keva. No one has ever gone back to Godhead without being favored by a great saintly person, a Vaishnava. In this verse, therefore, we find the words manasvinam padarajaprapatsye. I shall receive the dust of the lotus feet of great devotees. The word manasvinam refers to great devotees who always think of Krishna. They are always peaceful, thinking of Krishna, and therefore they are called dhira. The best example of such a devotee is Narada Muni. If one receives the dust the lotus feet of a manasvi, a great devotee, he certainly returns home back to Godhead. So this sloka is being spoken by the king of the demoniac class of men. Vritrasura uh, challenged and attacked all the great devotees of the Lord. The story of Ritrasura, in order to understand this verse in truth, is very interesting. What happened was this, that the demigods, or the devotees, headed by King Indra, were defeated by the strong propaganda and the influential power of the greatly, grossly materialistic class of men. You see, in this material world, sometimes those who are godless appear to reign victorious over the godly. We find this throughout the history of the world. Sometimes people become bewildered when saintly people appear to be defeated by godless people. But this is all the divine arrangement. Something good always comes out of this. Just like in the Christian faith, the materialistic people crucified Lord Jesus, and it appeared that they conquered him. Even one of when he was on the crucifix, it is explained that one of the um, there were two criminals seated on each side of him, and one of those criminals, he said, "So if you are the son of God, why don't you save yourself and why don't you save us?" And the other person next to him. He was also a criminal. He was factually a guilty man. 
And that man, simply by the influence of seeing the humility of Lord Jesus, he remarked that when you enter into the kingdom of God, what was it? Please remember me. And Jesus said that surely you will know that we will go there together. In the Christian religion, according to what is on record, the first person to go back to paradise was this man. There's no record of any other Christian going back to the spiritual world before him. The first person Jesus took back to the kingdom of God was a criminal, a factual criminal, a social outcast, a cruel-hearted man. simply for one reason, because just before his death, he showed a sense of loyalty and appreciation for the Lord's mission. Before any of the saints, before any of the disciples, a low-born criminal went back along with Jesus. God does not care about our piety. God does not care about our righteousness. God is only concerned with one thing, that in the end we become his humble servants and the humble servants of his servants. The Pharisees, they were very highly learned in the scripture and they were also very, very um, highly ethical, following the highest moral principles. They did not achieve the kingdom of God. But this criminal, who was nothing but a common man, breaking the laws for his own greed, that person achieved the kingdom of God simply because he humbled himself before the Lord's dignity. So from this story we can also understand that oftentimes it appears that the demoniac materialistic class of men are able to conquer over the devotees. We find in the Srimad Bhagavatam, time and time again, the demons completely conquering over the universe, enslaving the devotees. In the day of Hiranyakashipu, he was not only a meat eater, he was a human blood eater. He was a rakshasha. And yet he conquered the, the universe. And all the great devotees, including the demigods, became his servants out of force. Even Narada Muni, the great spiritual master of all spiritual masters, was forced to engage in his service, menially, obediently. But of course we know that in the end, Lord Nirsingadev appeared in such a glorious way just to conquer this great asura. So similarly here we find in this verse today, Vritrasura. He was a great and powerful demon. His birth is very, very wonderful. What happened is the, dem the demons, the materialistic class of men, conquered over the demigods. So the demigods, they performed a sacrifice by getting one um, very, very highly qualified Brahmin of the name of Vishwarup. And they asked him, 
that you perform these, this ritual to give the demigods powers to conquer the demons. He said, yes, no problem, I will. So he began to perform the sacrifice. But he was very equal-minded to everyone. He didn't see a difference between the, between the good people and the bad people. So the bad people, the demoniac class, also asked that he perform certain oblations to the sacred fire for them. So when Indra was there, he was doing very nice chanting the mantras for the demigods, but when Indra would leave, he would chant the same mantras for the demons. So Indra became very angry and just came into that place. This man was like his guru. He was his own priest. But he became so angry, he took his sword and cut off his head. <clears throat> this is very symbolic. Because you see, people... They like to accept the guru when the guru gives them what they like. When the guru does something in such a way that is adverse to their sense gratification, sometimes they leave him, or sometimes they come to the extent they want to destroy their own guru. They want to cut off his head. This is how powerful the greed of man is. So Indra cut off the head of the very priest who he accepted like a guru because he was acting contrary to Indra's sense gratification. But what happened is the father of Vishnu, he became very angry and he was a great yogi. So he performed a big sacrifice to create a monstrous demon who would kill Indra and kill all the demigods. And as he offered this oblation to the fire, he chanted a mantra, and out came this gigantic demon that filled the sky. He was so powerful. He, had a, he was like a large, incredible mountain. He had a trident. His teeth had fangs, which were like, like glaciers. His eyes were red with anger. And he was so big that as he came onto the battlefield to um, challenge the demigods, just with his feet, he was stomping on thousands at a time and crushing them to death. And when he would roar, the whole sky would shake and echo terribly. Can you imagine? meeting someone like this in a dark alley at night. And here, Indra, the leader of the demigods, the most powerful of all the devotees of the Lord, challenged him in a fight. He threw his most celebrated weapon, the thunderbolt, and Vitrashura effortlessly just caught the thunderbolt and threw it back at Indra, who was riding on an elephant, and it knocked them both over, practically unconscious. And then Indra realized that I, there's no way I can fight with this person. He's just too big, he's too strong, he's too powerful, I'm just going to run away. And just when he was given up and about to run away, Vichasura started preaching to him. And this is what he said. Only for the sake of living, huh? in the heavenly planets, 
You killed my elder brother, a self-realized, sinless, qualified Brahmin who had been appointed your chief priest. He was your spiritual master. But although you entrusted him with the performance of your sacrifice, you mercilessly severed his heads from his body in the way one butchers an animal. <clears throat> Indra, you are bereft of all shame, mercy, glory, and good fortune. Deprived of all these good qualities by the reactions of your fruit of activities, you are to be condemned even by the man-eaters. Now I shall pierce your body with my trident, and after you die with great pain, even fire will not touch you. Only the vultures will eat your body. You are naturally cruel. If the other demigods, unaware of my prowess, follow you by attacking me with raised weapons, I shall sever their heads with the sharp trident. With those heads, I shall perform a sacrifice to Bhairava and all the other leaders of the ghosts along with their hordes. So here he's talking like a very great demon, which he looked like and which he was acting like. But in the next verse, he reveals his heart. But if you... If in this battle you cut off my head with your thunderbolt and kill my soldiers, O Indra, I shall take great pleasure in offering my body to other living entities such as jackals and vultures. I shall thus be relieved of my obligations to the reactions of my karma, and my good fortune will be to receive the dust from the lotus feet of great devotees like Narada. And then he goes on. And he, the rest of the verses spoken by Vrityasura are the most beautiful, heartfelt glorifications of the Supreme Lord. Surrendering to the feet of God and telling Indra that you are, God is going to kill you, me through you. So please kill me fast. You are such a fool that you are so attached to living in this world that you're about to run from the battlefield in fear. But myself, I'm completely detached from everything I'm doing. Out of duty, because it is my, the will of God, I am now acting like a demon and doing all this. But my heart is simply lovingly remembering his holy name. Now, if you kill me, I can get rid of this demoniac body and go back to the spiritual world. So please kill me. And uh, here... O oh, Indra, no one is guaranteed of always being victorious, but the original enjoyer, the supreme personality of Godhead Krishna. He is the cause of creation, maintenance, and annihilation. He knows everything, being dependent, being obliged to accept material bodies. Belligerent subordinates are sometimes victorious and sometimes defeated. Since everything is dependent on the supreme will of the all-merciful personality of Godhead, one should be equiposed in fame and defamation, victory and defeat, life and death, in their effects represented as happiness and distress, one should maintain oneself in equilibrium without anxiety. A person fixed in devotional service of the Supreme Lord Hari, the Lord of the highest auspiciousness, swims in the ocean of nectar, for him, what is the use of the water of the small ditches of material enjoyment? These are the words of this great demon. Ah. So, you cannot judge a book by looking at its cover. 
just like last night when it began to rain, we, we were speaking on the subject of not seeing things on the basis of how they appear. Sometimes what appears to be a catastrophe or a crisis is the opening of the door to liberation in our life. narrated many stories yesterday describing how the sweet will of the Lord sometimes appears to be disguised in very, very, very gruesome forms. But a devotee of the Lord never sees the way things appear, but with faith and trust in the mercy of God, sees within. Not only in circumstances, but also this carries on in our judgment of people. Jesus said, judge not, lest ye be judged. It's easy to judge a person by how a person appears. It's easy to judge a circumstance by how the circumstance appears. But those who are truly on the spiritual path never indulge in such superficial speculations. They deeply try to see what is Krishna trying to show me through this person and through this thing. Vritrasura was the king of the demons. He was a man-eating demon. He was destroying millions of people's lives. He was conquering the universe. He was a monster. Factually, Cecil B. DeMille's and all of these great movie producers, they could never create any special effects that would come close to the type of demon Vritrasura was. Unimaginable. What a horrific form he had. Huh? What do you think? Frankenstein. You're saying Frank Frankenstein was like a housewife compared to <laughs> like a housewife in the suburbs of Long Island. <laughs> but if we really want to understand what is Vritrasura, we have to go a little further because you see Maharaj Parikshit is hearing this narration from Shukadev Goswami, and he's wondering, how is it such a horrible demon had such devotion to Krishna? He was greater than any of the devotees. His prayers, his devotion, his love for God is unparalleled. Why did he have such a demoniac body? Why did he appear in this way? And then Shukadev Goswami began to explain that there was once a king and his name was Chitraketu. And this Chitraketu had many wives. In those days, this took place, this story, many ages back, where kings sometimes had many queens. And after many, many years, he was feeling very despondent, full of anxiety. So what happened is two great devotees Narada Muni and Angira Muni, they came to visit him. And Angira Muni could see that Chichiketu Maharaj was feeling very, very despondent. 
when the great saint Angiramuni entered into his court, he got off his throne and he put that great devotee on the throne and he washed his feet with his own hands. Because you see, in spiritual society, everyone, including the king, takes a humble and subordinate position of the servant of the sadhus or the saintly persons. Today, the politicians are persecuting the saints. But in those days, in the times of um, righteousness and spiritual culture, Chichiketu became the humble servant offering prayers to Angira. But within his heart, Angira could detect that there was some great sorrow. What is the problem? Have you not given in charity to someone in need? Have you not protected from someone, protected someone who was in a crisis in life? Have you not <coughs> spread the glories of the Lord throughout your kingdom? Chichiketu said, no, no, all these things have been done. But because I have no son, my whole life is like a dreary void. I want a son. Because after all, who will take over the kingdom after me if I do not have a beautiful prince? So Angiramuni performed a sacrifice and gave him a certain preparation made out of rice cooked in milk and said, you take this and you give it to your queen. So he took and gave to queen. And very soon a beautiful son was born. Angira said, you should name this child Harshashoka. Harshashoka means one who brings great joy, but later on brings great sorrow. So the king was thinking, yes, of course, children, they, they do naughty things, they will give me sorrow, but no problem, at least I have a beautiful son. <laughs> and he was so proud of this prince, little baby. The whole kingdom was celebrating like anything having wonderful festivities to honor the birth of the prince. But, of course, in this world we know that everything is relative. What brings one person happy brings other people distress. That is the nature of envy. The more successful you become, you should know, the more people will become envious of you. So the other queens were thinking, now this queen who had the child is so popular and so dear to the king and to everyone else that we are being neglected. So they formed a conspiracy to murder the baby. And they fed the baby poison. And one day, when the maidservant of this child came, Arivo, To wake up the child, the child would not rise. And then the queen came and saw that her baby was dead. And she was drowning in an ocean of sorrow and lamentation. And then when the king heard the news, his heart was beating with sorrow. He fell unconscious. Tears were flowing from his eyes. And as he was walking toward this child, he just kept slipping 
and falling in an ocean of tears. It was millions of times more painful than death itself. Because what you become, what gives you pleasure to that extent gives you pain when it's taken away. Krishna says in the Gita, Yehi samsparashaja bhoga dukha jonayevate atyantavanta kontayanate suramate buddha. An intelligent person does not take part in the objects of the senses, knowing they have a beginning and an end, knowing that all the pleasures of this world are really sources of misery, because <coughs> everything will be taken away today or tomorrow. And to the extent we attach ourselves to that extent, it's going to be horribly painful when it's taken away. If the, chi- if the king was not really concerned with the child, he would have just said, oh, God's grace, no problem. But he was literally plunged in the deep, fathomless ocean of lamentation. He couldn't do anything. He couldn't rule the kingdom. He just sat and lamented. Meanwhile, his ministers, his armies, they were waiting for direction. He could not do anything. He lost all of his potency, all of his power in this grief. At that time, Angira Muni returned, along with Narada Muni, two great saints, two great devotees of the Lord. And they said, oh, king, what is the problem? I told, I named the child Harsha Sok, I warned you that he will be cause of great happiness and great lamentation. Chichiketu, but I did not expect like this. Now there's no use living. Narada Muni said, so what do you want? What do you want in your life? He said, I want my son back. So Narada Muni, who was a very, very great had great mystic powers by the will of the Lord, he said to the child, he put his hand over the heart of the child and said, my dear child, you are causing your father such grief. Why have you left him in this way? Come back and explain the reason. And the baby child sat up. Just as Jesus rose the dead, Narada Muni also rose the dead. And not only did he raise the bed, dead, but a little infant child who didn't even have, who never even learned how to speak, immediately began to speak eloquent words of philosophy. And he said, you are saying that my father is in grief because I have left? Which father are you talking about? You know how many fathers I've had? Through millions of species of life, this soul has traveled and had so many fathers and so many mothers and so many sisters and so many brothers. Why is one more important than the others? In fact, all the millions of mothers and fathers I've had in the past, they're so significant to my soul that I don't remember a single one of them. So who is this man? He calls himself my father. He's not my father. This body is not me. This body was dead. So why was he crying, rascal man? Why was he crying? What belonged to him was the body, and the body's still there. So why be in grief? 
He was crying for the loss of the soul. But he was not the father of my soul. He did not create this soul. He only created this body. He didn't create it. He was just an instrument in the hands of God to create this body. And the body's still there. I am not this body. I am the soul. There is no man who is the father of this soul, and there is no woman that is the mother of this soul. It is only God. It is only the Supreme Personality of Godhead, Sri Krishna, who is the mother and father of my soul. These are all temporary relationships. I do not know this person. And when he spoke like this, he spoke right in front of his own father. He chastised him for being in such ignorance. Don't you know my stupid father? that because you're attached to my body, you're suffering so much, anyone who attaches himself to anything physical in this world is going to have to suffer. We are all part of Krishna. If you see everything in relationship to Krishna, if you see the perfect plan of the loving hand of Krishna, then you will always find great happiness and love in every situation of life and peace. For by hearing this, Chichiketu Maharaj became enlightened by hearing from his baby son. And then this little tiny baby, Harshashoka, said, Besides that, I have bigger and better places to go than here. I'm going back to Godhead. Why do you want to keep me in this miserable place? And his father gave his blessings. Yes, you go back to Godhead. And the son died again. And then when the son died, the father was very happy. Ah, very nice. <laughs> you don't have to do this to your mother. Children speak philosophy, it is very charming. Yeah. <laughs> so, Chichiketu then became a very, very great devotee of God, very great Paramhamsa, a saint, although he was king. And he was such a humble servant, and he was so self realized. From then on, he ruled his kingdom with great responsibility. But his mind was always fixed in the loving service of the Lord, always seeing the perfect plan of the Lord in everything. Therefore, he was always in transcendental happiness. You see, God can speak in many ways through many people to enlighten us. This king, actually his spiritual master, was his own baby infant child. And King Chuchiketu, one day, he was traveling. And during his travels, he came upon something very interesting. Lord Shiva was sitting in an assembly of great renunciates, swamis and monks, who were all celibate and detached from everything of this world. And he was giving them a discourse 
on renunciation. And while he was giving a discourse on renunciation to all these swamis and monks, his wife, Parvati, was very affectionately sitting on his lap, embracing him. So when Chichiketu saw this, he began to laugh. What is this? All these Swamiji's are sitting around, and he's telling them about renunciation with his wife embracing him on his lap? <laughs> so Chichiketu thought this was very humorous. But Parvati did not think this was very humorous. Because you see, the nature of love is you cannot tolerate hearing the object of your love being insulted. One can easily tolerate any insult upon oneself. But upon a great personality, this is intolerable. Even Lord Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, Krishna himself, who took the guise of a devotee, when people would insult him, he would say, yes, you are correct. But when they would insult his devotees, a great person, he would become like fire. When a devotee hears himself insulted, he's very happy. He's grateful to that person insulting him. Thank you very much. This is just what I need to become humble. Huh? But when we hear our spiritual master or Krishna or another great personality being insulted, it's intolerable. We have to close our ears and run away, or we have to stop this insulting by establishing the truth about this person. One of the two. But if we stay there and listen, it is explained in the scripture, all of our good qualities are consumed and exhausted by hearing such words. So Parvati was very angry. She said to Chichiketu, what is this nonsense? She said to Chichiketu, what is this nonsense? Lord Shiva is such a great personality. You cannot judge him. Yes, I am sitting on his lap. But even though I'm sitting on his lap, embracing him, he's still the most renounced, detached person in all the universe. But you cannot understand this. You are trying to superficially see something with your with your external eyes, and therefore you are criticizing. But because you have criticized such a great devotee as Lord Shiva, for your purification and punishment, I curse you to go to hell and become a demon. Now, coming from the goddess Parvati, this is very powerful, because whatever she says becomes true. Maharaj Chichiketu, he was thinking, ah, very nice. And with great humility, he fell at the feet of Parvati and said, thank you very much, Mataji, mother. Thank you for this great benediction. Actually, I was not criticizing Lord Shiva. I was affectionately joking about him. That was not criticism. But you may have misunderstood me, but I could understand that even your misunderstanding is only superficial. Actually, God wants me to go to hell and become a demon, so why should I object? He's, he's speaking through you. Nothing happens by chance. Therefore, thank you very much for this kindness. Now, with your permission, 
I will go to hell and become a demon. And then he bowed his head with great peace and happiness in his heart. And upon seeing this, Lord Shiva was very much impressed. And he turned to his wife, Parvati, and he said, my dear Parvati, just see the qualities of these devotees of the Lord. Just see the qualities, unsurpassable. Narayana para sarave nakutashtana bibyate sarva swaraga pavarga narakeshu apitulya sadarshanam. These were the words that Lord Shiva spoke. That these devotees of Narayan or Krishna, they are so detached, they are so fixed in loving devotional service to the Lord that they don't care about any of the external conditions of this world. They are finding such pleasure in the love of their service to God that whether they are in hell, whether they are in heaven, whether they are on earth, wherever they are, it makes absolutely no difference. They're only concerned with one thing. How can I serve you, my Lord? If I can serve you best in hell, let me suffer eternally. I don't mind. I will find great pleasure serving you there. If I can serve you in heaven, I will do that. If I can serve you in a liberated state, I will do that. There's no difference. Lord Shiva began to extol the glories of Chichiketu for being completely transcendental. Such a caliber of love and devotion, very rare. So that great devotee king, Chichiketu, he is the person that was born as Ritha, this monstrous demon. appeared very bad, but his heart was like gold. Everything he did, everything he said was demoniac, until at the last point of his life, he revealed the truth of his heart, and he began to offer the most beautiful prayers in the glorification of Krishna. And he was even preaching to the devotees how they should become Krishna conscious. <laughs> We should not judge people by their external superficial appearances. Sometimes great devotees may even fall into a most degraded condition of life. And it's easy to just say, just see what a, what a, what a fool this person has become. Look at how fallen and useless he is. But if you say that, you may be blaspheming a saint. We do not know why God has put that person in such a predicament. It may be for some special divine plan. It may be for a certain very high level of purification for that person. How do we know? Who are we to judge how Krishna is dealing and why? Huh? Better to be safe than sorry. Better to see the good qualities in others. If a person has fallen, we may not want to seek out that person's association now, but we should not try to judge what's happening and why. This is, this is between Krishna and his devotees. So, everything that Krishna does is perfect. Everything that Krishna does is for the benefit the ultimate good 
of all persons involved in his divine pastimes. So in this beautiful story of Rajasura, we can see how sometimes blessings in disguise come into our lives. <clears throat> Yesterday, when it was pouring rain, and we were all crowded in this teepee together in the afternoon, Antuzi was here, and we were having wonderful kirtan, such wonderful kirtan we would not have had out there in the, in the nice sunshine. He said that this rain is a blessing in disguise. I, I remarked to him, yes, but I don't think, it doesn't appear so disguised to me. <laughs> it's a blessing. It's brought us all so close together in such a unified place to be here and chat, to express our love for Krishna and our love for one another. Actually, everything that happens in this whole creation is a blessing. Sometimes it is in disguise, and sometimes it is not in disguise. But 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 and a half days a year, God's blessings are showering upon everyone. And if we can simply learn how to see the Lord's blessings at every moment, thankful, be grateful, and understand how in this situation I can best, I can utilize, I could seize the opportunity to purify my life, to come closer to God, to come closer to my brothers and sisters in God's love. If we're always looking for that, we'll find that. You see, Krishna, Krishna reveals himself according to how we approach him. And he's in everything, everywhere. If we are looking for an opportunity to criticize or find fault or complain, ha, 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 Krishna will give you ample excuses at every moment. Every moment you'll have something to complain about. You'll have something, somebody to criticize. Some place, somebody to find fault in. At every moment. great abundance of faults to point out in everything and everyone, if that's what you're looking for, by God's grace. If you're looking for an excuse to feel sorry for yourself and lament and think the world's against me, then every person you meet and everything that co you come in contact with will reconfirm that the <laughs> world's against me. Everyone except me is being treated fairly. Why? What have I done? I'm such a good person. I don't deserve this. Ah. And Krishna will send everyone to reconfirm this just for you. Special mercy. What are you looking for? You'll find. If you're, if you're seeking within your heart to perceive God's loving hand in everybody and everything that comes on your path in life, you will see Krishna everywhere and in everything. You will experience the love of God in everything and in everyone. Jesus said, seek and ye shall find. Knock and the door will open. If we are seeking Krishna, we will find him.
everything that we perceive is factually a mirror image of our own conscious desires. The entire universe that we see and everyone we meet, they are all like mirrors, just reflecting what is within our own hearts. What is reality? This relative existence, there is no real reality. Because it, everything appears the way you are thinking and desiring. It's like many of us here are having such a wonderful time in this teepee. We're thinking this is the supreme opulence of life. I never want to leave this place. Look at this. Devananda Maharaj has constructed the most palatial <laughs> residence for all of us. He don't need to hear that. But we need, but we need right. to say it. Oh, okay. So, he's trying to destroy it. What is this? I mean, if my father from Chicago were to come and sit here in this teepee, he would look around and say, "My God, what are you people doing? There's just clotheslines everywhere. These, these these dead trees and just dirt dirt canvas." He would not see it like that. He's a good man, but not, not this style. <laughs> Most people in New York City, or Chicago, or Los Angeles, or Atlanta, or for that matter, Bombay, or London, if you take them in this teepee, they will see something completely different. They will think, get me out of this horrible place. What is this? This is a residence for, for those savages from... 200 years, 500 years ago. Huh? But what, we, what are we seeing? We are seeing a beautiful oasis. We never want to leave. Let all the skyscrapers tumble down and let's just build teepees all over the earth. Oh. What do you think, Malachi? Is this our philosophy? <laughs> what we are speaking of is simple living and high thinking, whether it be a teepee or something else. The, the beauty of this teepee is not that it's a teepee, it's that it, it manifests the principle of simple living and high thinking, whether it be a mud hut or whatever. The idea of simple living, high thinking is beautiful. Because the hearts of the people, they are looking for God's beauty in nature. So we are finding God's beauty in this natural condition. Seek and ye shall find. Like Similarly, huh? The original inhabitants of this dwelling were thinking the same way. Mm. Gotta help us conserve space. I live like this all year long. I always live in the woods. I've never been in a building to sleep except jail <laughs> in many years. Pretty right. But usually I'm by myself and then once a year or a few times I get to be with a lot of people but usually I'm just by myself in the woods. 
We are never by ourselves. Krishna is always in our hearts. Of course. <laughs> so, in this way, every opportunity is the perfect arrangement for us to come closer to Krishna's love. Do not lament, do not criticize, do not complain. Because when you do, what you are doing, in fact, is you are taking the precious treasure of Krishna's mercy and throwing it aside. Let us be grateful. Let us be thankful. And how to develop this consciousness? How to remember Krishna? It is simple. To prepare our consciousness to be able to have this vision, we associate with people who have this vision. And what do they tell us? They tell us that in every situation of life, you can keep Krishna and Krishna's love in the center of your heart. When we chant Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. We are putting Krishna in the center of our consciousness. We are purifying our consciousness with the divine mercy of Sri Sri Radha and Krishna. And as we fill our consciousness with mercy of Sri Radha and Krishna. We see the world like a mirror. Through chanting the holy name, if we fill our hearts with Radha and Krishna, then we will see the mercy and the love of Radha and Krishna in everyone we meet, in every circumstance in life, and everywhere we go. why Srila Prabhupada would tell us just chant Hare Krishna and be happy. Thank you very much. Uh, Is there any questions? <coughs>
nice having you guys here. You know, it was nice and quiet for a few weeks before you were here, and then y'all came here. And the, the champions from UNC that night, I've enjoyed it. And the food's been great. Had a lot of people on show night. How come you you came? I mean, <coughs> I mean, you know, Hare Krishna, and then the, the rainbow is you know quite a quite a anarchist counterculture, you know, dope smoke and uh, new paper, you know, and, and alcohol and everything, you know, y'all just came into it and it was real nice. Yeah, the funny thing about it is a lot, a lot of the philosophy of the rainbow, too, because uh -huh. it doesn't really cause such changes that alcohol and church misuses of the, of the mentality. Yeah, but we accept everybody, so since yeah, we accept everybody, everything's accepted, even though we don't want any meat here, and we don't want any alcohol, and we don't want any dogs here, you know, and we don't want any, you know, tobacco, coffee, and you know, everything, you know, whatever everybody wants, everybody does. It. Right, but the beauty of it is right, the right. bit, the toleration, right, the right, acceptance. Right, right. That's real good. Yeah. yeah, acceptance. Because people have had trouble with the A camp, and I've had no trouble with them. I've been down there a few times, and I bought them a watermelon, and I silk screened their shirts, and I hung out with them, and they were fine with me, you know. And some people had a lot of trouble with them, and, and I know that they're our brothers, and they just like to drink, you know. I don't drink, so it's not my problem. <laughs> I have other problems. <laughs> All I want to do is chant the name Hare Krishna, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's my problem, man. Right, right, right. Well, what you dwell on is what you become. So if that's what your focus is on, then, then you become that, you know. Uh, your individual ego sort of like drops aside and you just like become, you know, you become the Krishna. If, you, if your focus is on the Krishna, right? you become the Krishna. You become the humble servants of the Krishna. <laughs> yeah, all praise to the devotees. I like that. <laughs> yeah. You've been to the other Christians on the other side? Anybody walk over there? It's real, it's real nice over there. He it's just came from there. That's, yeah, it's real nice. Sweet over there. Yeah. Yeah. Not so crowded. Not so <laughs> Qu crowded. <laughs> quieter. It's nice over there. in love with Krishna. Krishna is Krishna and we are the parts of Krishna. Our oneness with Krishna is in oneness in the harmony of the desire of Krishna, in the sweet will of Krishna. Uh, the 
oneness of love. But yet, the lover and the beloved always remain distinct in personality, but one in the love. It is a more ecstatic principle to love God than to be God. Paramatma is Krishna. Paramatma means the Supreme Soul, and we are Jivatma. Jivatma means that we are all part of that Supreme Soul, like a sun ray is part of the Supreme Sun. The sun ray is one with the sun, and there's no difference in the quality. It is the same thing. Param Brahman and Paramatma are the same. <laughs> you and me are Brahman. Krishna is Parabrahman. You and me are Atma. Krishna is Paramatma. We are not Param Brahman and we are not Paramatma. serve Krishna with whatever we have, whether it's a physical form, a subtle form, that is the nature of love, that everything is, is an, everything we have, everything we are, we offer it as an expression of our love to the beloved. You see, in Krishna consciousness, we offer to Krishna through the grace of the spiritual master. But let's say we're not in Krishna consciousness. So Jesus is the spiritual master of all Christians. So we offer to the Christian, the faithful Christian, will offer everything to Krishna through the spiritual master of Jesus. Not everyone believes like that. The Christian Bible says that man, God has said that man has dominion over all the creatures of the earth. Well, what does dominion mean? Well, it should mean to care for them. That's what it does mean. The, fa the father and the mother have the dominion over the family. That doesn't mean they eat their children. <laughs> There's another verse in, in, in Genesis. Sometimes they're, sometimes they're even doing that now. Huh? There's not much difference. We are the older brothers. Just like in a house, if there's an older brother who's grown up and the father and mother go out on vacation, they give dominion over all the younger children to the older brother. Doesn't mean the older brother beats everybody up and says, I have dominion. It means he cares for them. Hmm? So similarly, when man has been given, we are the elder brothers of creation. 
human beings. The animals, the trees, the plants, the insects, the fish, they are like younger children. And the father and the mother have given us the responsibility to take care. But we have become so hard-hearted that we're using it as an opportunity to exploit those who we are supposed to be caring for with love on behalf of our father. Huh? That was his mercy, that he went to this class of people to uplift them. You see, the, mercy, the nature of God's mercy is like water. It's always naturally going to the lowest place. Water will always fall by its own nature to the lowest point possible. The mercy of God is like that. The mercy of God is always seeking the most fallen, the most lowly, the most sinful to uplift. equal to the same thing or equal to each other. Right. When Krishna appears, why does Krishna appear? Paritranaya sadhunam vinashaya chaduskritam dharma samstapunarataya sambhavami juge juge. To deliver the pious, to reestablish the principles of religion, and to annihilate or expose the irreligious. What did Jesus do? Same thing. When the Lord comes himself, or when the Lord sends Guru, or sends his beloved son, or sends his beloved prophet, it is always for the same purposes. The mission is identical. The purpose is identical. The grace that is coming through them is identical. But at different times, the Lord appears different quantities of information about himself. And, uh, and presents it according to how the people of that time and place can understand, comprehend. After all, if Krishna were to, were to come and start speaking Sanskrit to the fishermen in, in Palestine, would anyone have understood? <laughs> he spoke the local language. And the rituals that he offered were the, the common rituals. He just, under, he just explained what the rituals were for and how to perform them in such a way that the proper result will come.
judging a book by its cover or being careful. Sometimes, sometimes, you know, Krishna puts us in a position that we have to uh, chastise somebody else or instruct somebody else. So what is the proper mentality to have when we're trying to uh, you know, get something done for the spiritual master and getting the devotees to work together? Sometimes somebody might be spacing out so they You have to analyze your own heart. Are you saying this genuinely in the mood of being the servant of this person or the judge of this person? Both. If you're chastising a person to help uplift that person, that means your attitude is really servant. But if you're chastising just to put him down, then you become the judge. be judged. And most of us, we would rather not be judged because we know where we're at. <laughs> at least we have some idea of who we are and what we've done and what we are. We would rather not be judged, so better we don't judge others. spiritual master. He never judges the disciples. He serves the disciples. Even when he chastises, criticizes, it is all in a spirit of service. How I can help this person to increase spiritual qualities in that person's life. Sometimes that tenderness. Sometimes there's the subtle fire. Ah, sometimes that tenderness is within the heart of a thunderbolt. <laughs> but that is a technique. Because sometimes, oftentimes, a person will not take your chastisement seriously if it is done with tenderness. So therefore, internally it is done with tenderness, but externally it is like a crashing thunderbolt to shatter to pieces, to burn, to scorch, to <laughs> stab to death. Oh Lord Shiva. False ego <laughs> of our master. <laughs> huh? Every living being is our master. We are the servant. Because every living being is manifesting God in our life. Any other questions?
the integration should be done with a specific direction. That is why we require spiritual guidance. our intelligence becomes many directions. And to make spiritual advancement and to withstand the temptations of this world that are constantly trying to divert our attention away from God, we need a very, very strong and specific focus in our life. Hmm? Otherwise, if we try to blend everything together, it becomes our whole spiritual direction becomes very blurry. We really don't know what direction we're going. That is why we need spiritual guidance. So any other questions? Thank you.